All right, Mots, we're back. Episode 15. We got some great things on tap for you guys. An unbelievable interview with Ray Bork, NHL Hall of Fame defenseman and Stanley Cup champion. We chat about Mots working at ESPN, UMass, Amherst winning the championship. New Mass, that is, actually. I was fortunate enough to go down and play in the Pink Whitney Cup, so some 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 good topics to cover. Yeah, I can't wait. Let's get after it, brother. All right, Mots, we're back. Episode 15 of The Rink Shrinks. It's great to see you, buddy. Yeah, great to see you. Great to be back. We haven't chatted since you were on ESPN, Big Dog and everybody. Uh, you looked you looked great out there. It was great coverage and great to see a, uh, a local team win the championship in the NCAAs, that's for sure. Yeah, it was a lot of fun getting down there. My buddy Sean Richland got me in the mix. It's, you know, those guys are pretty polished when they're on TV. There's someone talking in your ear. You got to get your point across. You got a, a bunch of different thoughts going on. You got to try and be professional, but it was a great experience to see how it all comes together. It went like what a setup they have down there. It's just amazing, like you know, big, big time major leagues. And it, it, it is ESPN. Yeah. The, the the ESPN. Yeah, like Bobby Boucher and his daddy. No, I've seen you on the ESPN. I thought you did a great job on there. Obviously, the first weekend watching Andrew Raycroft is, uh, I've gotten to know him recently. He does a really good job. And all those guys, I, I mean, the coverage was great. Obviously, uh, like I said, it was great to see that UMass team end up pulling it out. I know BC, they tried to cakewalk their way into things with uh, with with not having a, a first round game in the, uh, in the tournament, but... They ended up not being able to pull it out. Yeah, the Eagles uh, came up a little short, didn't really play too inspired. St. Cloud State, though, they they went to the finals and they were a very structured team with some discipline. And and when they got the lead, they were very difficult to play against. But I was really happy for UMass. My nephew, Lyndon Alge, is on the team and it was just great to see him hoisting the, the championship trophy. And, you know, what an experience as a freshman to go to UMass and and be a part of that group and win a championship and then kind of be ready to defend next year. It's going to be great to see. How about take us behind the scenes for a second in that 5 OT game? What's going on behind the scenes? You just want to go to bed. Yeah, we were we were sitting there watching and, you know, you're hoping for a good game. It was UMD and North Dakota and North Dakota has, has a great team, had a great team. And we're like, if they score one, they're scoring two. And they scored two in the, like the last minute and a half. I was like, oh no, this one's going a while. <laughs> Five over times later. You're going to be here all night. Yeah. I buried a couple of chicken quesadillas, you know, <laughs> had a coffee to stay awake. But we actually, a funny thing, we were in between periods. We were picking our uh, our winners, like who would get the game winner. And I wrote them down. I, it was like my idea. I'm like, hey, dude, like what, you know, like, you want uh, you know, one from each team. And I drew a complete blank. It was like such a mind fight. And like, I took the other guy's player. He's like, what? What, what do you what do you mean like we're on tv and i like i just totally stole his uh his guy it no was just like, yeah i'm like yeah sanderson he's like that's my guy i'm like no not anymore <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> oh that's fantastic guy nabil he, he's just a great guy real professional and he's like no that's my guy i'm like all right well <laughs> I, I drew a blank Oh, that's it was hilarious. A, it was funny. But yeah, it was a long one. That one you know, got to bed in the end. And like you said, congrats to your nephew. And that's something that obviously, you know, myself, I lost my freshman year in the national championship. And obviously it was heartbreaking, even though we got smoked by a Minnesota team that was that was loaded. But something that you couldn't do either. So he's got a little bit of bragging rights at the family cookouts. Yeah. And his dad played at BU. So he was part of that championship. So there's two national championships in the household. And so when we get together for family outings, it's they have they definitely have the bragging rights. I was like a first class loser, lost two of them, and then they got rid of the dead weight and won it, won it in 
one the next year. So yeah, I was super, really happy. Uh, Linden, great player, and he has a great future ahead of him. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I want to talk to you a bit about the you know importance of off ice training. It's that time of year now where. You know, tryouts are passed. Hopefully, as we've talked about on the show quite a bit, is the importance of playing other sports and getting out there and playing baseball and basketball. And, you know, my kids are involved in baseball, basketball, lacrosse right now. And I, I mean, I think it's so important as as do you and being multi-sport athletes. But talk a little bit about, you know, the importance of off-ice training, right? And like, and, and, and you know, I'd like to really interview at some point in time here a, a professional, a guy that actually does that for a living and talk about, you know, the, the certain ages and things like that. But talk about your experience and your thought process of off-ice conditioning and what kids should be doing at this point in time, you know, leading into the summertime. And obviously, you know, this is that time that we've talked about is the time to, you know, take a little bit of a break from the game. Yeah, I think it's important to be a, a multi sport athlete obviously we've talked about it but you know being a better athlete allows you to transfer some different skill sets to hockey you know if hockey's your main sport you, you want to be able to to transfer those skills and, and you have to be able to play those outside of the season of hockey right so it's tough to play basketball during hockey season right so you, you have to be able to play some sports that are kind of counter uh, seasons and you know being that athlete and then it's just you you're using different muscles you're active still and then as you, you start getting into this, the, uh, the age where you can start developing some muscle and start with the weights, it's, it's always important, though, to have good fundamental what, – what's the word I'm looking for? Fundamental technique for mm-hmm. body weight. I was going to say body weight type stuff, right? Not, not, not heavy lifting stuff. Exactly. And there's so much information out there. And it's just – it's important to – just at least expose a younger girl or boy to these type of exercises so then their body can get acclimated to it and it obviously will translate to any sport right so i i like to do stuff with my kids use the back steps for example for some short plyos different different height plyos you can do some lunges and then you know get out and just just be an athlete like we throw the ball around the yard kick the ball around the yard and just have have fun doing it but definitely the the off ice training is is getting more and more uh structured so when we do have someone on uh, we have a couple people that we could have on it's it'll be interesting to hear their take on the age where people start really kind of getting into it i know some of my friends kids got in really early and you know like they're they're really structured but more often than not i would say you know it's like a seventh eighth grade you start seeing some body weight stuff then you get into high school and you can start moving some weights but again that technique and that and you also safety you know you, once you start moving some weights you want to have that good technique and good form so that you're you're able to stay away from injury from not playing a sport i know with my guy who's um you know he's 14 now we just you know he's working out with the, a small group of guys and they're doing a ton of uh body weight stuff pull-ups push-ups getting some weights involved, kettlebells and different, you know, dumbbell presses and things like that. But I think that's, it's super important. And I think, like you said that, and we've talked about it before, those transferable skills, my, my middle guy was watching him play basketball the other day. And it's just like a a city league, you know, whatever you want to call it. It, it, but it's awesome. And I was, it was talk about those skills is, you know, he was playing, he was defending a guy and he was like a pit bull. It was, it was really awesome to watch. As soon as the guy's like came over the, the, you know, half court line, he was like in their face and defending really hard. Right. And he was, you know, stealing the ball and he was, it was really doing good, but it was funny. Like we talk about in our defensive camps that we're doing, not crossing your feet over. Right. 
And if like somebody makes a fake and hoop and you cross over, like that's like a guy's dream. Right. And then I was, I was thinking about it and it's so true in hockey, right? We talk about opening up your hips and not getting crossed over and, and working on shuffling and, and things like that, where if your feet get crossed up, you're, you're in trouble. And there's nothing that says it more. Like we've all seen those and one hip mixtape tours where a guy gets crossed up and his ankles get broken. You know what I mean? So it was funny. I was just, like I said, I was, I was talking to him, but I'm like, dude, you did a great job defending. You got a couple steals, but as you, if you play against better players that probably know what they're doing a little bit better, like they get you crossed over, you're in trouble, you know? Yeah. That footwork, like whether it be basketball, football, breaking down to tackle someone, lacrosse, moving your feet, shuffling, it's all great stuff. And, you know, like again, it transfers to, to hockey if, you know, you have the right instruction and, and can apply it. But uh, those principles, I always tell the kids, it's like, all right, you're defending on the ice here, right? You're defending. If you were playing basketball, you wouldn't allow them to be on this side of you closer to the hoop. It's like very simple, basic principles that can apply all across sport. And, you know, like soccer, being able to, you know, get that spacing for support. It, you know, you're on a bigger surface, but the concepts are the same. So you can you can apply different things as a coach uh, from sport to sport. And, and I think some kids, it clicks for some kids differently, uh, especially those that play other sports. Yep, absolutely. Patrick Milo, you know, just passed Gordie Howe's record and has played 1,000 768 NHL games. And like I said, he just broke the legendary Gordie Howe's record and pretty amazing. And, and, and talk about the preparation mods. Obviously you would have played and you know, you, you played in hundreds of NHL games, but like the amount of preparation that it goes into staying healthy and, and doing the right thing and playing that amount of games in, in such a great league as the NHL, the best in the world. Like talk about the preparation that it takes and, you know, get, you know, again, it, it kind of comes back to that off ice training and conditioning and, and, being in in you know tip top shape or else there's no way you can get that type of stuff done. Yeah, it's just an amazing accomplishment. I mean, it's cool to to get there, but to stay there and then to stay there that long, I mean, what a, it's it's quite a feat. And these this is one record that you know, I feel could be very difficult to break, you know, with the way the league is, you know, it's very young, number one, but the preparation is is one thing. Uh, getting into a routine that you can duplicate for that long, and just taking care of your body. So we call it being a pro. You know, some someone you know the consummate pro, the guy that shows up all the time, very serious at what he's doing. You know what what he's doing to prepare, and that's so important. And that was one of the pieces of advice that Brian Leach gave me at an early age: is find a routine that you can duplicate not only on game days, but practice days. It can differ a little bit, but you have to be able to do something consistently so that you you prepare your body and your mind um, to be the best you can be in practice and in games. And to see Patrick Marlowe, I mean, I th- I've always been a fan of his, you know, his game. You know, he's he was difficult to play against, but even before I even played against him, I, I really enjoyed his game. He was hard, he's hard-nosed. It's not like he's floating around, not going in the corners. He had... He's still an elite skater at his age, which is amazing, and um, he's evolved with the game. But just a just a hockey player, you know. Yeah. And everything that you read about, everything you hear about him, he's just a super guy as well. And the guys up in Toronto, he took them in, into his home, and I forget who 
who it was. It was, uh, oh, uh, Marco Sturm said, you know, 25 years ago, you know, Patrick and I were, were teammates and he hasn't changed since. And that's like a testament to just being a good person. So yeah. hats off to him. Hats off to Ke- KY with his uh, thousandth game, which is another, I mean, suit. And one of these accomplishments that not many people can say it, it, it is like an elite, elite club. Our boy Luch, he's a good dude. And you want to talk about you were able to be a teammate of of Milan Lucic, right? You showed us a pretty interesting video of of you know those little clips. I mean, I did it. I said I had my kids send a little video for Keith, but you you chose to do a little something special for Luch. I, I, let's uh, let's 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 paint the picture for a second. I don't know if, <laughs> if everybody saw the video of Jumbo congratulating Marlo. Did you see that one? Yeah, with yeah, Austin yeah, Matthews and also Jumbo in the background. Let's just say Mott's turned it up a little bit. Let's just say he turned he up the heat a little bit. He brought the heat. Yeah. So, I mean, back in the day when I was kind of bringing the intangibles into the locker room instead of the real on ice performance, you had to glue guy, you got to find your niche, you find your niche. Yeah. So I would, I would do like a male stripper dance um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, come out of the curtain, signature move, you know, shuffle, shuffle around the pole. And I'd, I'd really go after uh, the, the guys that are in a slump. So, more often than not, they would score that night because they didn't want me coming, you know, crawling over to them. So anyway, Brittany uh, Luchik, uh, Milan's wife, reached out and was like, hey, you know, we didn't play that uh, long together, but we, we're very good friends. He's a, he's a great guy. Uh, she was like, hey, would you mind sending over a little video? Just kind of saying congrats. So you went, you ended up, you, you broke out a little dance for him. Yeah. Just a little PG, but it was, uh, you know, I figured his kids would be watching stuff. Something that can be shown on the jumbotron for the thousandth game celebration. No, I mean, yeah, it was, it was was respectful, but I cut out the floor routine because of the new hip and, you know, keep it PG. So (laughs) it was, uh, yeah, no, it was great. He's, he's a great guy. He shot me a text thanking me and stuff, but, um, again, like a great accomplishment an elite, an elite company with, um, you know, KY too, and with all the great players that have played over a thousand games. So congrats to those guys. Yeah, that's awesome. No, it really is. It's 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 amazing. Uh, amazing they can take that many naps too. You play that many games, and every day is like a nap. And you know, Dude, I, skate oh. nap like the, like you said, that routine's crazy. I was down at my brother's house like when when he was traded to Florida, and all of a sudden it was like the doorbell rang. I was out at this pool, and uh, this guy. So I like go answer the door. He's upstairs sleeping, and uh, this guy with the Starbucks coffee shows up and just like hands it to me. I'm like. Uh, thank you. And I'm like, hey, some dude just dropped off a, uh, off off an iced coffee. He's like, oh yeah, that's my guy. He brings it before the games. And I'm like, oh, all right. Like I was all set. I didn't need one. You know what I mean? Thanks yeah. for asking. Where's the love? Yeah, where's the love? But he, uh, you know, like you said, that that routine and just being that consummate professional is 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 it really is to do it that many times and stay healthy and and hopefully mm-hmm. these guys can keep it going. Knock on wood. You know what I mean? And. I can't wait to uh, hopefully we can get that 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 clip of you uh, maybe out on the internet, maybe posted on our social media, and uh, yeah. I think we can track it down. Yeah, I feel like yeah, we know a guy that, that might, might send it to might us. Might have maybe. a guy or two that can track that down. But uh, <laughs> in in, uh, in other news, Mots, we um, you know I wanted to bring up uh, you know for uh, for our listeners that are north of the border, border uh, it's you know it was, I was sad to see that that you know, you know the major junior leagues up in in Canada are kind of they're in shutdown mode. The Memorial Cup, uh, which 
I was fortunate enough to go up to and, and watch one year when my brother was playing. And it was, it was an amazing, um, amazing tournament. And just like the amount of talent you speak about, you know, um, that was the other guy, uh, Jordan Stahl just played his thousandth game. But I, I just think back to when my brother was in the Mem- uh, Memorial Cup, um, you know, you had obviously Keith was playing, Luch was playing for Vancouver. Um, you had Jordan Stahl was playing. There was these the the amount of talent that was up there, and I'm, obviously there was probably fifty other guys, and I just can't think of their names. But it was it was really like something that you know we just talked about the national championship and at, at the college level, but it was something that like I was I, I was very fortunate to go up there. I think I went up there for like you know told my my wife or girlfriend at the time like yeah I'm just going up for a for a weekend and then ended up staying for 10 days. You know what I mean? But, uh, we, you know, it was, it really was myself and, and Billy Ryan went up and, uh, and my parents were up there and things like that. And, and that was the old infamous story that I told on spit and chicklets the, the first time when we took Billy's car and there was like a, a family of squirrels that was inside it and things like that. So that, that was where we were heading, uh, on that, on that trip. And, uh, but it was, you know, it's it, it's sad to see that, you know, I I hope we can we can really move forward and, and hopefully Canada can can you know start to figure things out a little bit here and and you know let's let's get hockey back let's get everything back and it's it, it's time to play right yeah it, you know with just on a smaller scale there I mean it's a missed opportunity for some of those NCAA teams that made the tournament and then were were stuck with the uh, COVID bug and you know like Michigan Notre Dame. You know that's just a missed opportunity. So for these players up in Canada, it's it's just a terrible thing because you know they're missing a whole um, season here, and if that that type of um, effect we don't know what what it's going to be. You know, long term. You know, it just stinks because there's a lot of opportunities that are, are being missed, and you know those communities really come together. You know, around that those teams. And, you know, it's part of the culture, it's part of the, the community, and it's just unfortunate how much uh, will be lost because of it. So, uh, yeah, hopefully you just move along here and, you know, I, I don't I don't want to get into it too much because it's just dragging on. But, um, you know, turn the page and make sure everyone's safe healthy and uh, get back to some normalcy here. Get back to some normalcy. So I, I was listening to um, a buddy of mine, not a buddy of mine, a, a guy I know who I, I mean, I've gotten to know recently in Topher Scott and and Jeff Lavecchio on that Hockey Think Tank podcast, which was a, a great interview with Brian Riley, who's the uh, head coach at Army. And obviously, I encourage anybody to go out there and listen to it. I was able to um, to go on the podcast a couple, you know, about a month or so ago, which it was uh, it was really fun chatting with those guys. And I think a lot of what they what they say and do kind of aligns with with, with our stuff. So I wanted to thank them for 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 going on the show. But one thing that really stood out that that Coach Riley said, and and his family's had an amazing tradition of coaching at. Um, you know, at, at West Point and, and, you know, talk about the leaders that, that, that he's coached and went on to lead this country and, and everything. But uh, one thing that I really took and, and it was, you know, when, when he speaks with his guys and, and normally you say like, oh, I play with, with this guy or I do, you know, whatever, my D partner is this guy. It's like, what he really stresses for is no, I play for this guy. Like I play for this guy. And what, you know, one of the things that, that, that really stood out for me was like, you know, 
I'll do anything for this guy. I got this guy's back. Like I might not be the toughest guy or whatever, but if my guy gets into a little bit of a scrum, I got, I'm, I'm there and I have his back and I'm not, I'm not playing with him. Like I'm playing for him. I'll do whatever I can to, 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 you know, help this guy win or support this guy and, and, and make plays. And, you know, I just thought it was so important when you talk about the, the team culture in hockey. And obviously at, at West Point, you're talking to the elite of the elite, the elite of the elite in, in terms of leadership and things like that. But I, it just really stood out. And like I said, I encourage anybody to, uh, to go out and listen to that show. Again, it's called the, the hockey think tank. And, um, like I said, there's some amazing guests that have been on there. I've listened to a bunch of them. And, um, you know, this, this interview with coach Riley from, from, from West Point was really special. I like how he put that, put a spin on it there because, you know, hockey in particular, I feel everyone's pulling in the same direction more often than not. Uh, but just to put it in that simplistic form and just change a couple words around or one word pretty much, uh, it means, it means a lot. And, so, you know, you take a hit to make a play, your teammates appreciate it, you know, like little things that you do, you know, and working to get into position so your teammate can make a play, you know, like it all goes together, but you, you're playing for that, that guy sitting next to you, you know, just like he's playing for you and it goes right down the line. And I really, really like that. That was a, that's a, a great pickup by you on the, um, on that interview and yeah, he's done an unbelievable job and you know, like they have core values that can translate outside of the rank as well, obviously, you know, being at West point, but um, those little things that you can take from different coaches and different uh, points of view um, and apply to your, you know, if you're a coach or even a parent, those are the things that are really important um, and the sport can transcend uh, just out, outside of the ice as well. So it's really, uh, it's re- that was really neat. I like that. Yeah. So as far as making plays, like we were saying for, you know, getting open for a teammate or taking a hit, what about your performance down at the, the, uh, pink Whitney cup when you're laying out late in the game to prevent an empty net goal? Was it an empty net goal or? Yeah, it was, uh, it was. They yeah. pull, you pulled the keeper. So t- t- tell us a little, tell listeners about, uh, your experience down there, BY. Yeah, no, that was awesome. We, uh, I was, I was lucky enough to be invited down and, um, you know, Mott, so obviously you, if you weren't coming off the, the, the new hip, I think you would have got the nod as well, but they, uh, so I was the dead weight down there. It was, it was honestly, it was an awesome experience. There was a, you know, cool boss, dual personalities, different teams, and there was a bit of a draft process. Um, and then, you know, you had guys like, you know, Patrick Chung there and uh, some different, you know, musicians and different people like that. Uh, Mark from OAR, who was an awesome dude. Keith got to know him in, in New York and he was uh, he was he was a great guy. And so there was like kind of all ranges of hockey. And then you had a bunch of uh, women's Olympians who I had had the pleasure of playing against in uh, when they were leading up to the Olympics, like about not not the past one, the one where they went where they won the silver and uh different uh you know amanda kessel and 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 there was it was it was really really fun so we had a good team coach Duggs was my uh was my coach he was a great dude knew nothing about hockey and uh <laughs> but it was it was hilarious it was a little bit of a draft we won our first game and then grinnell, get, grinnell, get grinnell started getting a little no he was like he lost his game so he wasn't he wasn't on in the championship and he was like trying to bully his way into the 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 championship game so he went on the guy you know pft and 
and, and their team. And then so Coach Doug started thinking like he had to make some trades. And I was like, dude, we're all set. Like we were buzzing the first game. Like we had we had six guys. And, and you know me, Mots, like especially men's league, like I can I can play the angles. I can play it safe. Yeah, I you can manage I the have. game. Do I manage the game? I'm like, I want to be out there. If we're playing 40 minutes, like I, I, I can log, you know, Ray Bork type minutes out there. You know what I mean? Because I'm not exerting a lot of energy. Uh, so there, there was some... There was a little bit of roster adjustments, which I didn't agree with. We got to kind of tighten that up a little bit for, for future Chicklets Cup. So, so we messed with the chemistry. Yeah, messed with the chemistry. Like I had these girls that could buzz. I was throwing sauce up the middle and these girls were just going. And, and it was like game on. And then I joined the rush second guy, you know, late guy trailing the zone that find me. And, and it just, it threw things off a little bit. And, you know, we ended up losing the final, but I, you know, I, I, I had to sell out. I was out there at the end of the game and I think it was Amanda Kessel that was trying to, uh, to score or, or maybe, uh, Megan Keller. She was a, she's a really good player too, but I wasn't going to give up that empty netter. Like I, I, I yeah, can't, you're gonna get I've, been enough, yeah. I've been on for enough minuses in my day. I don't need another one. It would have been nice for biz to sell it a little bit on commentary. You know, he didn't, I mean, you laid out, you, you sacrifice your body for the pink Whitney cup. I, maybe he did. And they just, you know, <laughs> they, they could only do so much. Biz was definitely never out there at the end in the last minute of any game, even in, even in a little pickup <laughs> type game anyways. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the whole atmosphere and the environment, they treated us like, like, like Kings down there. Brennan Walsh and I went down and uh, we had a blast. It was at this hunting club in Jersey. I forget exactly what town, but the place was beautiful. It was like an, an outdoor rink with, you know, it was all, uh, it was like a country club basically, but with the, with a rink on it. So it was really cool. Good experience. And I really appreciated those guys, um, you know, coming in, in, inviting us down. We had a blast and it was, it was good stuff. I ended up uh, speaking of what my, I, I went to my li- uh, first live sporting event kind of since COVID happened. I went to bees on Sunday, which was fun. Uh, Taylor Hall was lucky enough to leave wit for tickets. And, and he, uh, he texted me and was like, Hey, he's like, which one of the Andal boys is, uh, is, has been, has been behaving and, and wants to go to the game. So he was taking his son to the, uh, he was taking his, his boy who's three. So I, I figured I'd grab, uh, I grabbed my youngest Liam and and we actually had a blast. It was awesome uh, at the game. And, and, you know, it was nice to see some hockey in the Bruins were buzzing a bit on Sunday. It was a great game versus the Capitals. And uh, it was fun. It was fun to see some live action, but it was, I'll tell you one thing that was crazy is like, everything's on your phone now. Like I, all I could think about, it was like my father or something like my father's like, straight cash you know what i mean like you gotta order every drink on your phone every food item on your phone like put in your credit card all that type of stuff like i don't even know if my father pays with a debit card at the gas station you know what i mean like so it was it was definitely a little interesting but it was fun to uh to to catch a live sporting event and 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 be there for uh for whitson's first first bruins game was was pretty cool uh, that's great. Yeah, speaking of Bruins, Ray Bork, Hall of Famer, one of my idols growing up. We got a nice interview with Ray, and he talks about coaching his kids, his perspective of the game, and uh, just a really interesting guy and one of the best players to ever play the position. Yeah, I mean, his his numbers speak for himself. We uh, 
we were very lucky to have him come on and chat and talk about a bit about his career, but a, a lot about his path too, which was pretty cool to learn more and more about his his path of getting to the NHL and obviously raising his kids, being a dad. Obviously, I was lucky enough to be coached by him in, in, in high school for a couple of years. And obviously, Machu were lucky enough to play in some Bruins alumni stuff with him too. So we had some great stories. And obviously, uh, we hope everybody enjoys the conversation we had with Ray Bork here. And our next guest on the Rink Shrinks podcast is a man that needs no introduction. There's not many people in this great game of hockey that you mention a number and one name comes to mind. Welcome to the show, number 77, Norris Trophy winner, Stanley Cup champion. He also had the most goals, 410, assists 1,169, and points 1,570 by a defenseman in NHL history, scoring 65 points as a rookie on his way to a Calder Trophy. Welcome to the uh, the Rink Shrinks podcast, NHL. Hall of Famer and legend Raymond Bork. Hey boys, how we doing? Doing great. Thanks for coming uh, on, Ray. You're going, you're going through all those numbers, and I just got kind of goosebumps. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty crazy. Really is, yeah. really is. Oh, what yeah. a, what a career! And would like to kind of start at the beginning. And and what we usually do with the show is just walk people through your passion <clears throat> and where where that you, you fell in love with the game. Obviously, you grew up outside of Quebec, and and walk us down that path. Yeah, I, I just grew up uh, right outside of Montreal, uh, called, a town called Saint Laurent. And um, growing up in Montreal, you know, started skating. I was like four or five and playing termites, it was called. Um, and, you know, we for me, it started outdoors. Um, you know, there might have been an arena. There wasn't an arena in my hometown, but uh, as a young kid, you didn't get to play in there until you were a little older. So uh, I just remember five, six you know, playing outdoors, uh, and, and the outdoor rinks were fabulous. I mean, my hometown seemed like every street corner had, you know, a baseball field and, you know, in the winter would turn into a skating rink with boards, blue lines, a red line, um, you know, two nets, penalty box, two benches, uh, you'd get dressed and, uh, you know, in the shack and, and then you'd come out and you'd play and, um, it was just so much fun and just fell in love uh, with the game at an early age. But, you know, uh, I remember talking about this and my, uh, hall of fame speech was, you know, I thank the Montreal Canadians for making a young kid dream about playing in the NHL one day. And that's, you know, growing up in Montreal, you had no choice to, to watch and to love the game of hockey. And, um, I just remember every day just getting together with my buddies after school. Um, you know, we'd meet at the park and we'd be out there skating for a couple of hours every day and you're just working on your game uh, without uh, actually knowing that, uh, you know, you're, you're getting better and uh, you're just having fun with your buddies and having a good time. And um, nothing was structured very much back then. It was just going out there every day, pretty much touching the ice, let it be with skates or just ball hockey on the ice. And, you know, you develop hands, skills and um just kept progressing, you know. I um, when I was like seven, I was asked to play for the town team. I was intercity that we'd be playing against the other towns, and you know that was double A. You know, so I went from A to double A. Um, you know, this is before the triple A hockey and all that stuff came in. Double A was the highest level that you could play. So uh, I played mosquito hockey. Was called then, then Pee Wee, then Bantam. Um, and then, um, you know, I was always a really good player, uh, you know, one of the best players on my team, but not, you know, nothing special where you'd think, 
uh, you know, I uh, I would turn into what I turned into. Uh, but I start separating myself probably when I was 13 years old. I was always uh, I was always uh, a player that would play defense one year, then I'd play forward the next year. So I played D forward, all depending what the team needed. Uh, you know. Uh, in terms of a forward or defenseman, and I think that really helped me in terms of being creative. Uh, when I ended up playing defense, you know, I had played some forward, and um, allowed me to, to, you know, really uh, get involved in the offense and knowing how to play defense, but also offense. And I, I play, you know, both wings, my offside, my uh, my strong side. And at 13 years old, I uh, that's when I just stayed uh, on the defensive side. Uh, in terms of playing defense from that point on. And I start separating myself from a lot of my friends at that age. You know, I'm playing Batam hockey and going into my first year midget. Uh, this is when I'm 14 years old. And um, my first year midget, uh, we had a team in uh, Montreal or my hometown, the St. Laurent Jets Junior B team that, you know, as a kid growing up, we all played for uh, the intercity team that was called uh, the Jets and sailing around Jets, and then, you know, as a kid, you're going through the ranks and you're hoping to play for the uh, Junior B Jets one day. Uh, that's, you know, 16-year-old to 20-year-olds. Um, and one of my first-year midget, I remember getting a call um, at the house asking me if I'd be willing to come play. They wanted to bring me up. They had some injuries, and uh, they asked if I could go play uh, Junior B. And I was like, I was 14, turning 15 in December. And I couldn't believe I got that call and, um, you know, went out, played with guys that were 16 to 20 years old. I was just crapping my pants. I was, you know, scared and worried about not doing well or, you know, not so much getting hurt and like that, but just playing at a, such a different level. And uh, I ended up uh, finishing the year with the uh, with that junior B team. Uh, then the next year, I was drafted by the, the Three Rivers in the Quebec League in the junior. And, and uh, then, uh, you know, that, that was the year where uh, AAA came, came in. Midget AAA was the first AAA team that uh, they came up with uh, in the midget ranks. So these are kids that were 14, 15, 16 max. Um, and I remember training with them all summer long. Uh, I was with Lac St. Louis. And uh, that was the first year that that league was uh, developed across Canada in uh, Ontario and uh, out Western Canada and, and in Quebec. And, uh, you know, um, all the best players around uh, like St. Louis area. I remember training all summer with them. And I was going to go to camp in Three Rivers. And if I wasn't going to make the team, I was coming back to play in Midget AAA. I ended up making the uh, team in Three Rivers. Uh, and then played three years uh, of uh, junior hockey. Uh, I got traded from Three Rivers to Sorrell my first year, halfway through my first year. For uh, I was having a really strong uh, campaign. I was playing for the first te- first place team. Got traded to the last place team um, in Sorrell, and then Sorrell moved to Verdun. So my last two years were played in Verdun, and then I was drafted in 1979 in the first round by the Bruins. That's how I got there. The rest there. is history. <laughs> well, Ray, you touched on a gr- lot of great points there from your beginning to the unstructured fun and development that you you didn't realize you were developing. But, you know, you develop that competitiveness when you're playing against your friends and those skill sets. And we we really do touch a, a lot on you know, playing forward Andy and 
and kind of seeing the game from both sides. You know, the game's all around you as a forward, and it's in front of you as a D, and you can apply things that you learn in both positions. So that's it's pretty interesting for you to talk about that stuff because we really do stress that on the podcast here to our listeners. As far as other sports you touched on, uh, were there any in particular that you you consistently played? And is yeah. there any, any truth so, to... Uh, you were being a big water skier. Like I, I, I heard no, that. Yeah. No, no. Baseball. Baseball was my other passion. I love baseball as much as I liked hockey. And like, uh, like we were at the park every day uh, playing hockey in the winter. In the summer, it was playing baseball. We'd meet up there every day in the summer during a school vacation. And we played, you know, my Little League team. Uh, we almost won Quebec. Uh, we got to the finals. We played Sherbrooke in the uh, final game to represent Quebec and the Canadian championships to go to Williamsport. So we had an incredible summer that year. And I loved baseball. I was a catcher, hit the ball really well. I was a really good baseball player. And I played uh, junior ball till I went to Boston. Um, And um, then, you know, I come back in the summers and just play softball with my buddies. Uh, But I love baseball. And I think it's really important to play other sports and not just to lock in one thing. I tell kids and I tell parents that, you know, if your kid's doing only hockey year round, um, you know, he's going to the rink with the same look on his face, his shoulder, his bag on his shoulder, or now, you know, you got wheels on the bag and you're just pulling that bag, but you got the same look on your face and it's like, yeah, I'm going to play. You get away from it for, you know, a couple of months. You cannot wait to get back to the rink. And it refuels your energy and your passion and everything that comes with being excited about playing a game. And I think if you just focus on one sport and you just work on it, uh, that's the only thing you're doing. I think you got to step away and get away from it and miss it and uh, re-energize. And, and, you know, doing other sports will work on different skills as well. Um, so for me, I, I'm really big, uh, believer in, and not only locking into one thing, uh, doing different sports and different things and, and not all at the same time, get away from hockey or get away from baseball. If, that, if that's what it is, or get away from basketball or football, if that's what it is. And it's one thing. Yeah. You could be training, uh, and working out and doing things to try to, you know, make you better or stronger, whatever it may be, or faster for the upcoming season. But if you're on the ice, you know, 12, 24, seven, 12 months a year. I just think that's too much. Did you ever take uh, BP at Fenway? Yeah, I hit four over the green monster. Yeah. That's no big deal. Yeah, on the that, that, that was, <laughs> wow. a, that was, a, that was actually a Nesson. Tom Larson was pitching to me. He was a lefty. They actually Nesson taped it. I hit the wall many times, but I hit four over the green monster. That was a treat. Yeah, that's awesome. I was about to just say video where it didn't happen, and he just he just threw it out there. So we're gonna find the video. We'll, we'll have to we find, gotta find the video. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. No, you, we we've we've talked quite quite a bit, and I think that's something that this day and age with the the hockey parent, the specialization is just it's it it's crazy that that people aren't getting away, and we talk about developing that hunger. And that passion is so, so important. And that's what fueled you. And, and, you know, as you went, became a pro, you look and you're a guy that was playing so many minutes and you talked about your off-ice conditioning. When would you say you started working out and and doing the things away from the rink? Well, I met a very special man when I was 14 years old. Uh, He was my high school gym teacher. His name was Benoit Ledzuk. And uh, Ben had a track and field team in Montreal that four of his runners went to the Olympics and I was one of the guys that he trained over the years. I was the fifth guy to go to the Olympics. Um, Then coach baseball, hockey, basketball, 
he was very knowledgeable in all sports. Uh, he was so knowledgeable in, uh, in track and field and all that stuff. So um, I met him at 14. He was my teacher. And then at the age of 16, he started training me every summer till the day I retired. And to this day, I speak to him a couple of times a week. He's Ryan's godfather. He's uh, my best friend. And uh, he was a mentor for me and made of me um, a better athlete. Uh, he would give me a program every summer that was uh, – you know, at least 12 weeks long that uh, with a pencil, he would write, it was a calendar. And every single day, I knew exactly what I had to do. So it was a lot of times, it was three days on, one day off, two days on, one day off, and all different kind of things. And mostly, uh, it was running uh, for a, a good period of time, a lot of intervals, a lot of different uh, things I was doing in terms of uh, different runs. Uh, then uh, we uh, we brought in biking, um, a speed bike, that uh, road bike that I, I'd be working on because just over the years, you know, I mean, pounding of, of running wasn't the best thing for me. And uh, then I, I kind of do both. But uh, it was such an uh, important part of uh, my career is uh, the off-ice and the training and the de dedication and uh, just having a plan and, and you know, the preparation for that plan, the perseverance to fulfill that plan, and then the passion to go out and do it regardless of the weather. And, you know, I love working out in really bad weather because I, I kind of thought, okay, who's doing this today? You know, I've got to step up on you because I'm out there doing it today. And uh, so I was very dedicated to my workouts, but he made of me a better athlete and he made of me a stronger minded athlete because he was uh, I think Brian you met Ben over yes. the years yes at, at Cushing and uh, you, you sit down with this guy just for five minutes and uh, you'll be so impressed and he's so inspiring and uh, he's that type of guy that just takes charge and is so knowledgeable and and uh, you know will kick you in the butt when you need it and uh, you know when you need a little tap on the back he'll give you that as well so over the years uh, He's been a very important guy in my life uh, and my family's life. But, um, you know, in terms of my sport career, uh, that guy was uh, one of the most important things uh, that, that happened to me. I was very lucky. And you never know who you meet along the way. You know, it could be a teacher, it could be a coach, it could be, uh, you know, it could be your parent, it could be whoever. But, uh, you know, a lot of guys that have success could look back at certain people and go, well, that guy really helped me along the way. Well, a quick story about, you know, Ray and, and talking to my son. We went into Tresca, Ray's restaurant in the North End here in Boston, and before a playoff game, and it was just like, hey, Ray, you mind coming uh, over and, you know, saying hello to my uh, my son Ryan? And without hesitation, he's like, what are you doing? You know, you doing push-ups? You doing sit-ups? What are you doing? S squats? And Ryan was like, ah, uh, kind of. You know, he's like, how many? You know, so like... I really appreciate it. Like if I told Ray what to say, like what, what I kind of would like for him to kind of get the, the message across, it wouldn't have done any justice because he nailed it. He just got in his face and was like, hey, what are you doing, kid? So we were walking over the game and it was like silence for maybe like two blocks. And he's like, he's like, holy shit. Ray Bork just got in my face <laughs> about working out. And I'm like, finally, no. trying to get the light bulb to go off for the kid. But uh, oh, I thought we talked about, hey, how good do you want to be? That, you know? Yeah, that's and, that, uh, that was the start I mean, of it. How, how are you going to get there? Yeah. You know, wh what are you doing? And, well, not much. But I said, well, 
you might want to start doing stuff and it's not a matter of you know at a young age or whatever i'm not you know i mean i think it's about you know doing jumps doing squats without weights it's about doing push-ups about doing pull-ups doing sit-ups all these things that you could just do uh without even going to the gym uh you could go out for a run you could do sprints you could run up hills uh you know frontwards backwards crossovers going up hills all that stuff to strengthen your legs and your base and that is so important in terms of you know making yourself a powerful skater um so it was just simple stuff like that but you got to be dedicated you got to have a plan you know you gotta you gotta be thinking about these things and sometimes kids don't know any better so and i know that if it's coming from dad i mean it just doesn't click as much as coming from somebody else sometimes because, you know, I was a Hall of Famer, played 22 years. I coached my kids, and I would, you know, and Steve Casper, or both their kids were on the same team. And, you know, I'd say something to Ryan or Chris or whatever at Cushing, and, you know, they'd roll their eyes. I'm like, really? <laughs> You're rolling your eyes. So Steve and I figured out pretty quick that I would speak to his kid, and he'd speak to my kid. And they'd come home, and they said, oh, my God, Mr. Casper told me this. Mr. Casper told me that. And I'm like, yep. That was a good plan. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that you said that that really hits home too is you had that internal drive and that motivation. And you talked about when it was bad weather, what do you do? And I think that's part of the message that these kids like. Unfortunately, mommy and daddy, I think, are leading these kids and, and dragging them to the rank. You have to have that internal passion and that fire to want to get better, right? You have to, when somebody's not looking, You've got to be the guy going, whether it's down to the park and shooting pucks and things like that. And I think that's part of the message that we're trying to send here to our young listeners is it's not going to be your mother or your father dragging out, dragging you out and passing you pucks and things like that. You've got to find that motivation on your own if it's something that you really want to pursue. When I look back on my career and I speak to kids or I speak to groups or I speak to businesses or whatever it may be, I look back on my career and this is how I see it and why I had success. From a young age, I was looking for perfection, perfection in a constructive way. Thinking that way is going to make you the best you could be every single day because regardless of what I accomplish today, it is not good enough. I want to be better tomorrow. I remember, you know, that's why I was a humble athlete that had a lot of success, but, you know, it wasn't about me or what I did that day because tomorrow I've got to do it better and better and better. And if you have that mindset, and I say constructive, look for perfection in a constructive way, not destructive. We all play guys with guys that are perfectionists, right? And if, they, if they're not perfect or they, it wasn't right, they're screwed up for a week or two weeks or a month. I mean, come on. It's a game of mistakes. You're going to mess up. But you got to go out there with the intention of making it perfect, knowing that you'll never achieve that. But with that mindset, you're going to be the best you could be, and regardless of what you do in life. And now, as you know, as far as the accuracy shooting, speaking you won of that. Perfection, yeah. Right? Speaking of perfection, it was an eight-time champ as far as the accuracy shooting. Is that something that you just took pride in, and you obviously had? the ability to do it, but the pressure builds as you, you know, maybe one, one or two, but now, now it's like, all right, I'm going to show up here and, and continue to work at this. Would you practice it? Or is it just something that just came natural to you? And BY and I were asking if you chose your passers, if someone had, you know, no, like a, you don't, you don't pick anything and, and I, I never practice. I mean, I was a very accurate passer of the puck. I was a very accurate shooter of the puck. Um, I just can't believe that more guys, 
um, couldn't hit targets <laughs> like that. You know, with these guys that score 40, 50, 60, you know, 70 goals, and they're like, I mean, I don't know. I think the nerves. I was going to uh, say the pressure, get, right? Gets the, the pressure. pressure and that kind of stuff gets into guys' heads. Um, for me, for some reason, uh, you know, I was able to do it and just relax and, and um, you know, and, and I fired the puck. You know, some guys go up there and they, you know, they try to be finesse and I just fired wrist shots and, you know, that kept my shot accurate. Um, and, yeah, eight times. I mean, I can't believe – uh, you know, I won it that amount of times, but it was definitely fun and a good challenge and uh, fun to win it. That's for sure. Well, you had plenty of all-star games that you were in to try to, to, to try to win them. That's for sure with the, such a successful career. And one of the other things that always stood out too, obviously, you know, as watching you and we grew up idolizing you, but you used to be able to relieve pressure in the zone and just hammer the puck down the ice like a slap shot on net and whether it was to, to get a change or whatever, but it was something that you very rarely missed the net doing. And that's something that, you know, I just always remember the old, you know, Ray Bork player just getting it out and hammering it down the ice on the net. Well, I love skipping the puck. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I would try to do is skip. And I actually scored a goal from uh, just like our right, right face-off dot and our end. I remember right around that circle – we were shorthanded, and uh, Kay Whitmore was playing for Hartford, and I bounced one up that probably bounced right in front of his net, probably about five feet in front of him, and ended up going top shelf. <laughs> uh, and it was unbelievable because just before that, I had messed up, and I gave one up somewhere, and Rob Brown was just friggin' giving me shit about giving giving up. Yeah, nice play, Bork. Nice play. You suck. You're so overrated. You're this. You're that. I'm like, you know, and you feel like a piece of crap because you just almost you put one in your net or put one right on somebody's stick in the slot, and then it ends up in your net. And no, no lie, probably a shift later, I score from my end and I go by. You like that one, Brownie? Oh, that's <laughs> so, awesome. That's a great point because we talk about that mental toughness. Like you, and you already said it, hockey's a game mistake, and it's how can you recover from that mistake, right? You put one, as a defenseman, we've all done it hundreds of times, right? You, you, you tip one, you deflect one, it goes in off your shin pads. And for younger kids, like I coach mites and squirts right now, and, and you try to you know, relay the message to them like, hey, just go out and try to get the next one. Make the next play. It's not, if I had a, a dollar for every time I, I I put one in my own net, I'd be I'd be rich or at least at least have a few bucks in my pocket you know <laughs> some walk around money yeah yeah yeah, yeah. some yeah, it's money. uh it's amazing though uh you know i was in a situation i knew even if i messed up i'd get back out there right and some guys maybe not so lucky but you got to earn that right mm -hmm. and you got to have confidence and if i messed up i put one up the middle and it was picked off and I go back out there that next shift, and that pass is there. I'm making that pass right. again, and I'm going to make it work. I guarantee you. So I had that confidence. Uh, I had that security. But still, you that's your mindset, man. You know, I played those minutes. I played those games. I, do, I, I, I put up those numbers for a reason because my friggin' mind was that going out there and being perfect and going out there and making a difference. Uh, and I wasn't going to do it by just sitting back and not – trying uh stuff so yeah that's a know, great you message. mess up when you mess up or whatever like i said things happen quick out there it's a game of mistake but don't let a mistake destroy you right uh learn from it let it piss you off and you want to do more and go out there and make a difference even more 
uh, without trying to do too much. But, you know, if that plays out there and you're capable of making that play, you make that all day long. Well, that's something that, that frustrates us with coaches, right? There's such an, especially at the younger levels, there's such an, an emphasis on winning. And it's it should be, you know, more about, hey, go out and try to make plays and Again, if you turn the puck over, you try making a move, or you, you, know, you make that pass and it gets picked off, just go out and weigh your options and try to make that play better the next time, right? Try to execute it next time. But you find even at this, the younger levels, it's frustrating that you see a guy rip a kid off the ice and you know, he doesn't see the ice for a couple minutes. You know, that's, especially it's got to be age appropriate, right? I think it's a good balance. You know, obviously, you want to teach the kids I mean, at a young age, you know, I mean, I think it's more skill, fun, and developing uh, their, their skills and all that stuff. Once you get to a certain level, a certain age, I think it's really important to learn the game as well. And you know when it's time to maybe, you know, I can't, I can't put this in the middle because I'm just inside. I'm just at the hash mark. Um, I'm going to have to use the board and look for my support. Or I'm entering a zone where, you know, I don't, I don't want to turn it over at the blue line, but I I'm, I, I could chip it in and, and go get it and get some support and to learn those danger areas where, you know, you got to think. Uh, but then when you're in certain other areas, hey, let's make it happen, man. You're playing forward as a line. You know, we got to make it happen. And there's, there's areas where you could take chances and other areas where you shouldn't take chances uh, depending on the score of the game. But that's a certain age at a certain level that you learn those things because if you keep going to the highest level, if you don't know that and you're waiting, if you've got to learn that in the NHL, you're behind the eight ball. You've got to know these things before you get there while you're playing, before you get to college or um, you know, you're around 14 to 16 years old before you enter college or, you know, your high school level. I like working with kids and teaching them about, you know, your defensive responsibilities, where you should be, how to learn a game and how to protect certain areas of the ice. And, and it's, it makes it so much easier to play the game and you're not chasing the game because you know how to play positional hockey as well. But then again, you know, when it's time to use your skill and to use your imagination, I'm letting you go because certain areas of the ice, you're allowed to do that. But, you know, when it becomes, you know, a certain age, it becomes, yeah, a lot of it is about winning, you know, and learning how to win. Um, so, but I think at a young age, it's, it's, it's important just to kind of have fun, let them play. You can mess up anywhere on the ice. You're going back out there and, uh, you know, I want you to try that next time again because you want to develop, uh, you know, your imagination, your skills, and uh, your confidence as well. You played the offside a lot as a defenseman. Can you just talk to us about the, say, the benefits of it and maybe some of the drawbacks? I think I think the only tough part is sometimes, you know, I mean, guys that are not used to playing on that side have a hard time. They get stuck on their backhand. And, and I mean, I learned to, to use my backhand very well made some passes, cross-ice passes, nice saucers on a backhand or, you know, uh, but I, I, I liked it because it always brought the puck back to the middle of the ice and gave me more options, I thought. Uh, defensively, you know, I, I thought it was easier in terms of making that pivot to the right, having your stick maybe out there. Back in the day, you could use your stick to kind of slow guys down. Um, 
And, but for me, it started at a young age. I played both sides, and I think it's important to do that, not only as a defenseman, but also as a forward. You know, as a winger, I think it's important to play both sides and learn how to, you know, maybe take the puck off the boards a certain way on one side and then having to do it a different way on the other side uh, because it is different. And if you're only locked into one position, I think you're limiting yourself. Uh, and if you're, you know, flexible to learn and to, uh, to, to learn from uh, playing the both sides and all that stuff, I think it's just a benefit where they could peg you into the lineup in a lot of different areas. And that's something that you play in, you know, the amount of minutes that you played, uh, you know, it was just put me out there with whoever, whoever's rested, right? And I'm ready to go. I'll play anywhere. Well, the conditioning allowed me to recover like not many people. Uh, it was unbelievable. You know, every coach said they're going to cut down my minutes and nobody was able to. Uh, I don't know if there's a lack of maybe depth that we had uh, as a team, but also it was um, – I was um, ready to go, and I and I wanted to go. And I mean, you know, what are your options? Is it, you know? I mean, he looks rested. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, I'm going with I'm you, well even if you're a little there. tired. <laughs> as far as playing so many minutes, um, you were one of the first guys that that we saw kind of change some gloves uh, throughout the maybe the game or in between periods. What, what's uh? What's the most amount of gloves do you think you went through? Or was there, you know, they just dry them and, and bring them back type thing? Well, uh, at one point, uh, I really sweated. You know, I played a lot and I sweated a lot. And, um, you know, back in the day, you only had a pair of gloves. and You know, you wear that. But it was, you know, I hate wearing uh, gloves that were just soaked. And I just thought, you know, the stick would slip a little bit or you just wouldn't have that, the same grip. So... Then, you know, went to two pairs of gloves and then, uh, you know, they just take one off and dry the other one. And then I, I start to rotate four pairs of gloves and I'd wear, uh, you know, a little less work for the trainers um, where I'd wear, you know, I'd go through two pairs of gloves a period. Mm-hmm. And that would give them, you know, plenty of time because I had two other pairs waiting for me for the next period. So that's how we rotated. I, I used to have four, four pairs of gloves. And I just rotate through that, and I just hated wet gloves. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was the thing. And everybody's got, I don't know how many pairs of gloves now, and they got all these gadgets to dry the gloves and all that stuff. So um, the old heat of the garden probably didn't help either, right? That was a, yeah, that the old... heat, the smoke, the uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the fog, yeah. the cloud, the cloud of smoke in the uh, late seventies, early eighties. And all the Charlestown people sneaking in just put the place over to over capacity, uh, yeah. right? Oh yeah, <laughs> that was a great, great building. Yeah, that great was building. Cool. I have a, a story. With, so Ken Hodge Jr. was uh, playing with Ray, and I was playing with his younger brother Brendan. So Ken Hodge Senior was our coach. So he'd pick us up in the mornings and come and bring us to the the old Boston Garden. We had an opportunity to escape before the Bruins went out. So it was like a really a uh, cool cool thing. I. But I'm walking in like I'm on the ponds with the skates over the you know through the stick, and I put it right in Ray's locker, and uh, he comes in, he's like, "What? what whose who's crap is this?" So you know, I just figure, you know, I just get dressed in Ray's stall, you know, and so we end up going out there, pass some pucks around and whatnot. But that building was great, just to be a rink rat, to be able to run around and have that opportunity. But I remember Ray uh, throwing me some sauce, and it's like a memory that I'll I'll always have to hold on to. But that that was the only time I ever skated in the garden. I never played in a game, but 
That was that was worth it. I just can't believe you tried to steal a stall. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable! Like, that was setting thing. You wouldn't do that now in the alumni games. No, that's for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, what do you think about this threesome? You know, yeah. starting a center squad with all three of us back on the backside. There, that would be uh, that'd be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, moving well, pucks. Yeah, we. I'm lucky I'm a righty, so at least I might be able to get some a couple minutes in there. You know, just, <laughs> yeah. We need somebody on this strong side once in a while, right? Yeah, that'd be well, cool. Or we just flip you over and give you one timers. Exactly. Like PP. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're a pretty you're a pretty good PP guy. Mike Mike had all the speed, the the, the skill. Brian had plenty of skill and uh, the vision and the uh, smarts, and he could have he could have needed a couple of more steps. Because he get. <laughs> You get a couple more steps, you're uh, you would have had a nice career in the NHL, I think. Yeah, I wish I had met Ben. I would have been running up hills all types of different ways, oh, you know. So Ben, so Ben, I bring him out onto the garden ice once, and he brings his skates, and we're just passing and shooting, and all of a sudden he's by the boards, and I just take him out <laughs> right into the boards. I'm like. So that's what happens in this building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How how the Boston Garden boards feel? <laughs> that's awesome. Well, so Ray, you can speak to coaching BY here, the fellow shrink. So when you stopped playing, you immediately went into helping uh, your kids. You know, so Chris was at Cushing with Bry, and it just shows the the type of guy you are, and you know, kind of like a regular hockey parent that knows something about the game, wants to give back, and wants to be couple involved. Things, couple yeah. things, knew a couple things. So get, yeah. getting back to Cushing and how did he listen at all? Or was he one of those guys that would roll his uh, eyes at you too? No, Brian was awesome. He was a uh, great player. I mean, such a competitor. Uh, he was a bulldog and uh, was our best, uh, our best player. Uh, probably maybe our best player on our team, but definitely by far our best defenseman. And, um, you know, ran our power play, uh, very skilled and went on to have a great career at UNH. And he was a lot of fun to be around because he, you could just see the passion in his eyes when you're saying something. And uh, he was just uh, all willing to listen and, and to, to execute whatever you were asking him to do. So he, I, I didn't have to worry about Brian. Uh, a little later on when uh, Chris, <laughs> Keith, you have to worry about a little more. <laughs> I was going to say. Keith, Keith Boomer, well, Boomer, Boomer was good, but uh, Bill Ryan, Keith, and uh, and Christopher. Oh my God, those were three beauties. Oh, they man. thought they thought they knew it all, <laughs> and uh, that's why they never won in the end. You know, um, <laughs> when I when I talk about you know learning how to win and and the things that you need to do in the end, um, I talked about that all year long. I said the lack of discipline, guys, in terms of you know penalties but also your play sometimes thinking that you guys are so friggin good in the end you're gonna lose because you think you could just do it on your own and, and and not pay attention to details that you know as you move on you have to learn and uh, so i was i was really working on that side of uh, of the game with them and trying to teach them how to play without the puck position pos- positional hockey how to play in your zone I was like, guys, let's learn how to play in our zone. And believe me, we won't be in our zone very much. And if you don't, you know, in the end, we're not going to win. And, and we never did. Yeah. No, we I got ju- there, but we never won. Just to get back to your point, obviously, I mean, my father being a hockey guy and a passionate Bruins fan, when, you know, you retired and you were fresh off a Stanley Cup win and, you know, Chris was coming in as a freshman my senior year and, 
And my father, he, he not that he had to sit me down, but he's like, you literally have the opportunity to be a sponge and learn from one of the top defensemen in the history of the game. And that's something that, you know, I always remembered. And, and, and you know, a couple of things I remember, a funny story. I remember talking to you. And I was like, well, I thought the forward was going to be here at this point. You know, like having a conversation, which I thought that that was, you know, the best part about your coaching is you talked us through it. And I was like, you know, I thought the forward and you looked and they're like, well, that's your first problem right there. Never trust a forward. <laughs> Do not trust a forward. Uh, you, yeah. well, <laughs> we're the uh, smartest Pat, guys Pat, on the ice. Yeah. Pat Burns uh, was probably the best defensive coach I've ever had in my career. And, and that was his favorite line when he talked to the D. He says, do not trust a forward, <laughs> so, especially in front of the net. Um, but uh, no, that was, you know, I really enjoyed going up to Cushing. You know, I'd go up there a couple of times course of the week, and then I'd, I'd be there for pretty much all the games. Uh, Steve, uh, Steve was awesome. Let me do, you know, my thing. And then Bill Troy that, you know, just a phenomenal man that really cared about the kids and worked so hard and was there for, uh, for the boys. So, um, it was a lot of fun and, you know, I was looking forward to, uh, you know, that next step and being able to kind of follow the kids and I had Chris there for, you know, three years and then, you know, Ryan went there for a couple and. Uh, and then watching my daughter play, uh, you know, lacrosse, soccer, and basketball at uh, Governor Dummer and uh, going off to UNH to play lacrosse there. So uh, that transition was uh, a lot of fun during sports seasons for uh, following the kids. That's great. Now, as far as a hockey dad, like you're talking being, you know, around, and I'm, I'm sure it was frustrating at times when you were playing and you, you weren't able to to see some of the stuff, but you, you actually put your time in when you're, when you're done playing as far as coaching kids and, and we're talking about hockey dads and parents, is there any advice just like kind of broad stroke advice that you could give those hockey parents that might be new to the sport or just kind of really getting involved? Well, I think as a parent, it's really important to, I think, introduce sports to your kids. Um, you know, um, like I said, I, I like seeing a kid with a big smile on his face and passionate about going to do what he's, what he wants to do. Uh, you know, I introduced hockey to my boys and, you know, Chris had his nose and I bring him to practice at a young age. Chris starts skating. He was two and a half, uh, asking me to come to the rink all the time and uh, just wanted to be like me and had a blast at the, you know, skated before practice. Then he'd watch practice with his nose in the glass and then he couldn't wait for us to get off to put his skates on and to go back on. And that's how Chris kind of grew up, and he loved the game. He was asking to do it all the time. Then Ryan came along, and, you know, he thought, you know, he, he loved the game. He thought he loved the game at a young age. Started to skate. Was doing pretty good. And then figured out that, you know, when you play on a team, you've got to get up at 5 in the morning, and, you know, your game's at 6, and, you know, you're woken up. It's still dark outside. And I remember my wife calling me. I was in Vancouver, and he says, uh, Ryan, uh, this morning, it was so funny. He says, uh, I try to wake him up for his game, and he tells his, he tells his mom, I'm sick. I'm not feeling well. She says, Ryan, get up. Come on. We got to go. You got a game. He says, no, I'm not feeling good, Mom. Ryan, let's go. He says, no, I just want to retire like Cam Neely. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so it took Ryan a little time to really fall in love and to be passionate about it like his brother uh, was, but uh, it certainly happened. But, you know, Chris played baseball, uh, played hockey. Ryan played uh, soccer, lacrosse, and hockey. Um, but I introduced all those games to them and all that stuff. But, you know, you introduce it, but then they've got to ask for it. You know, they got to ask to go back and they got to ask and they got to fall in love with it. They got to be passionate. And then it's fun to get involved, um, you know, because a, a dad might have been a really good hockey player, might have played college or just came close or whatever it might have been. And he's trying to live his life through his kids and trying to push them to do something that maybe they don't really want to do. That doesn't work. Uh, so I think the kid for a kid, he's got to be asking to do it. He's got to be very excited about doing whatever sport it may be. And uh, then it's fun to get really uh, dug, really dig in there and, and help your kid and support him and, and fun watching him. So, you know, I, I'd say introduce stuff to your kids, but let them ask to go back and uh, let them fall in love with it and let them push uh, in terms of wanting to do things and not so much being pushed or having to do something because – you know, you want your kid to play hockey or to play football or to do whatever. You know, it's not for everybody, um, but it's fun when the kid really is uh, locked in and loves it and is passionate about it. As a parent, both your boys played forward, and I can speak for Chris, obviously, ultimate competitor and loved scoring goals more than anybody. But was that, you know, did you push your guys to play forward or, or was it just kind of up to them and that was their progression? I wanted them to play forward at the beginning just to develop skills and, and to have fun. And then as, as it went on, you know, Chris was a really good forward, saw the ice. Chris played a little D, you know, a little bit here and there, uh, you know, played defense a lot on the power play, uh, you know, ran, ran a power play pretty much everywhere he played. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, you look at Chris is probably five, seven Ryan's five, nine, uh, this their size, I think playing forward was a better, uh, situation that would allow them, I think, to to do more with the game um, up front, and uh, so you know they're different players. Uh, Chris put up numbers everywhere he went. Uh, Ryan put up some good numbers at a young age, but then became more of a, a shutdown kind of a role guy that you know you could put in all kinds of different situations. A uh, very responsible guy on both ends of the puck, uh, Chris. Not so much, uh, but he, uh, he, he, he was when he needed to, uh, but he's one guy that you could count on that would make things happen in the other zone uh, a lot, but uh, very proud of uh, both my sons. Chris has had an incredible career, uh, you know, played a little more than 50 NHL games, but had a Hall of Fame career in the minors in the American League and, and Europe has done very well. Still playing in Munich now. Um, they're having a season. Uh, he plays for Red Bull uh, out there and, and enjoying that. Um, but he's, you know, Chris is 35 now. So, you know, before we know it, uh, we're going to have to find something else to do for these guys. And it's probably going to be in hockey some way, somehow. Um, you know, I'd like to form something with my boys and uh, maybe a few other people uh, somewhere possibly on the North Shore and have uh, the Bork name affiliated with it. That's great. That's a great idea. And, you know, you've given so much into the game. The game's given everything uh, to you as well. And if you can do it with the family, that'd be an amazing uh, thing to continue on. 
it's what we know best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, just talking about the uh, current state of the game, how do you see it? And and one thing Mott's and I were talking about with you played for such a long time, you saw so many rule changes and things like if we brought up two line passes to our kids, they wouldn't even know what that that rule was, you know, but mm-hmm. you played for such a long time and, and those changes, never mind with the technology and sticks and, you know, your first year you were probably using a, an old log and then obviously you ended up... Uh, 50-30. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure exactly. Talk about the, the changes to all the rules and, and how much the game's changed throughout the years. You mean you wouldn't enjoy uh, seeing teams go up into the stands or big brawls <laughs> anymore? And wasn't that fun to watch? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we loved it. Uh, it, uh, it certainly has changed. I love the game now. Uh, I like I like the rules. Uh, I would have loved to play without a red line. I would have loved to play with uh, the new rules. Now you know you gotta have you gotta be able to skate to play the game now. Um, I think offensively would have been a lot of fun. I don't know how many times where you beat two guys with a pass and now you're jumping into the play. You're gonna make it a three on two, a clear cut three on two, and somebody just behind you puts a stick out and just hooks you so hard and stops you in your track and you just want to turn around and slash him in the face um and uh nothing's called and it's like you know offensively would have been a lot of fun no red line and those rules defensively would have been a lot more challenging because you've got to have perfect position uh, to play defense now and to play without the puck but i think it's something that i i would have figured out um I, I think the game just keeps getting better and better, faster and faster. And, um, you know, back back in the day, you had your two two top lines and you had your checking line and then you had your, your line that was out there uh, to take care of business. And, you know, uh, and now, you know, it's not the case. Now you've got four lines that could just go out and play pretty much in all situations. Uh, the depth and, and how the game has changed, uh, not only with the rules and the equipment and, and the training and all that stuff, but also, um, you know, the people playing it uh, all over the world. You know, people are coming out of, you know, even in the States where, you know, they're coming out of Texas, they're coming out of Florida, they're coming out of Arizona, they're coming out of everywhere. And then it's a world league. And back then, you know, you might have had a few Europeans. Uh, in the late 70s and, and early 80s, but then it just broke wide open. And, um, you know, credit for the guys playing in the league now because uh, there's a lot more people playing the game, a lot more, you know, a lot tougher to get into that highest level now. And you got to be a pretty special player to get there. Yeah, the, the no-touch icing probably w- would have saved you a few trips back to touch up on that icing yeah. icing call. And you can use it offensively too you know, with that small barn of – the Boston Garden, you can pound it around those egg-shaped corners and get some offensive chances. Yeah, those would have been some nice uh, changes that you could have really taken advantage of. Imagine the points he would have had then. Jesus, <laughs> I, know. I don't know. The goalies are a lot different now. Uh, you could, you good could point. score from the blue line before. You can't anymore. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. That's a good uh, point. I, I don't know about four hundred and ten goals in, in today's game. Yeah. And that's why that's why it's so much fun to look at my numbers and saying, okay. The next guy that's going to break that has to play 20 years and average 80 points. I mean, eh, yeah, good luck, right? Right. Seriously. And speaking of that, do you have any D men that you see now in current in the current game that remind you of you uh, of your game and your style? I, I I like the guy that gets involved, you know, offensively. That's able to support the attack. That's able to run a power play, and a guy that's going to be a physical guy. That's going to be able to shut down a top 
uh, line on the other side. And, and uh, those are the guys I kind of enjoy watching. Headman in um, Tampa Bay is, I think, really has come on uh, over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, and, and how he played last year, winning a cup and just dominated from the backside and being so big and strong and able to do things offensively and run a power play. And so he's probably my favorite guy, uh, you know, right now. And then I, you know, I was a big, uh, I'm a big Tory Krug fan when he, you know, running the power play here in Boston and having that size and being able to do the things that, you know, he's done in his career so far. Uh, and then, you know, you know, a guy like Big Z that's 6'9", and, and to make himself the player that he became and, and especially in his prime, you know, uh, a guy that was so hard to play against, but also uh, for a big guy like that, uh, really made some some nice plays and 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 uh, really uh, became a, a skillful guy for a guy that's just a monster back there. Um, but you know, I Duncan Keith, I like a lot uh, his speed, how he plays. Uh, uh, Weber, I was a big fan of of Weber, especially when he was in Nashville. I like the kid in Nashville now that they're captain. Um, You'll plays, see, uh, yeah, I watched him yeah. last night. He was very good. So, you know, there's on top of my head now. You know, I watch the game, but I mostly watch the Bruins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have uh, center ice here, and I bounce around and, and watch uh, a lot of different games. Uh, some young guys coming up, you know. Um, kid in Vancouver is pretty good. Um, is it Hughes? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, Hughes is very creative. Um, you know, not a big guy, though, and overly physical. Um, but I like the guys that could have that all-rounded game that, uh, you know, could shut you down, could uh, stand you up and uh, and then, you know, score a big goal or make a big play. Yeah, that Kale McCarr in Colorado is pretty oh my special God, yes. as well. He is. Yeah, he's he is dynamic. special. Yeah, he is. When I, look, when I look at one guy that might have an opportunity to, to put up some crazy numbers, that's the guy right yeah. there. Yeah. That's the guy. Yeah, it yeah. helps when you're feeding it to McKinnon too all the time. He's pretty good as oh, well. Man, is there is there a more powerful skater than him? Yes. I mean, McDavid is is so quick, and I never saw anybody play as quick and as fast as McDavid. But I don't think I've ever seen anybody uh, as powerful as uh, McKinnon. I mean, that is that's scary. Yeah, and that's, that's crazy. McDavid is under control though too. Like when he's going yeah. that fast, oh, it yeah. looks like he's playing alumni game. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of looks like us up there, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Especially talk- in the Maritimes when they, we had to go play forward. To uh, Mots told me that, that story. Canadians? Yeah, we played those. Mots was telling <laughs> me the story. He said you, you you had to give him a little nod and said, hey, let's go, uh, yeah, yeah, let's young go. buck. Yeah. He's like, let's well, put we, these campers back. Yeah, put these campers back on the back end, go and score some goals. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh my God, yeah. That was fun. Yeah, uh, that's that awesome. was funny. Well, obviously, we could sit here and talk for days, but talk to us uh, about the, the Bork Family Foundation and what you guys do there. Well, you know, I've always been involved in, in giving back and, and doing a lot of charity work for a lot of different uh, charities and different people and all that stuff. And uh, five years ago, we uh, decided to create our own family foundation and, and you know, doing things a certain way, the way we wanted to do it and know exactly uh, everything that was going on with what we were doing. Um, we created uh, the Borg Family Foundation and, uh, you know, trying to build something that's going to last uh, a lifetime, hopefully, for my kids and our grandkids and, uh, you know, really getting a, a lot of satisfaction and giving back, uh, 
you know, around New England. So we created, uh, you know, our foundation and we have a road race uh, that uh, I think this would be, we've had it three consecutive years. And last year we, uh, we had it the virtual road race that actually ended up making more money than any other race that we've had so far. So we're hoping to get together and be able to do that uh, live this year and, and also continue the virtual part of it. Cause we had, you know, people all over the all over the world uh, jumping in, you know, from Canada, from Paris, from different parts around uh, the world uh, would jump in and it gives people an opportunity to support us. Even if you're, uh, you're not live and, and doing the actual race with us, so that's something that's going to continue. Uh, we have a golf tournament that we've had for many years now that is a big success. And, uh, and then my wife uh, created uh, a gala that um, she was asking if we could do something that had nothing to do with sports, if we could all get dressed up and, you know, get in a really fancy uh, room downtown somewhere and, and have drinks and a band and hors d'oeuvres and just everybody, you know, uh, suiting up in a, in a tux and, and nice gowns and just have a good time and raise money doing that. So we had that uh, a couple of years ago, and this year was going to be our second uh, annual thing and, and uh, you know, it was canceled because of COVID. But uh, there's a special uh, thing that's going to happen with that event now. And we spoke to, uh, we had a really good relationship. and have done a lot of things for ALS and Pete. Frady's uh, family foundation and we're really good tight uh, with their family and with the 11 years that uh, what Pete had to go through and their family went through and the ice bucket challenge and everything that he uh, the excitement and the buzz that he created for ALS um, we decided to ask Nancy if she'd be willing to allow us to uh, to have uh, Pete's memory um you know, have the gala in Pete's memory every year from this point on. So uh, with the Freighties and uh, where the research is being done at Mass General, through all our networking, I think we could really hit a big home run uh, for the upcoming galas that we're going to have going forward in the future. So we're really excited about that. Um, I think we could really make a big difference. And uh, then we have other things, you know, one-offs or we come up with different things to try to raise money and uh, it's been a lot of fun and very gratifying and the whole family is very involved and very excited about uh, our foundation and where we're going and what we're doing. Well, that's that's great stuff. Obviously, make sure to all you listeners, check out uh, Tresca is an unbelievable spot and, and, you know, great location. And Yeah, so Tresca is uh, 233 Hanover Street, great restaurant in the North End, um, but we... Uh, you know, we, we survived COVID uh, so far. Uh, last summer was uh, pretty interesting and, and actually worked out pretty well for us with the outdoor seating that we were allowed. And April 1st, they're allowing us to do that again uh, through uh, late October. Uh, so, so that should be fun. I think things are gonna start opening up here slowly. Uh, that's gonna be huge for the restaurant business that's been hit so hard through all this. Um, but we survived it. Um, we're, we're going to be in good shape, I think, coming out of this. Um, if you like our sauces and you like our food at Tresca, you could get them at Market Basket or go online. I think it's trescanorthend.com or something like that. I have it shipped here to, to Florida all the time. Um, we have a great spot. Um, and uh, I'm actually in a, a second uh, 
restaurant business uh, on the North Shore. There's this place called Red's Tavern, Kitchen Tavern. It's uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And the guy that owns this place has one in Salem, Mass, and and one in Peabody, Mass. And we just uh, I'm just part of the third one that he opened up in uh, Seabrook, New Hampshire. Uh, right off of 95 that is off to a rolling start regardless uh, even with this covid situation going on so it's a pretty cool stuff uh you know so um a little of this a little of that and uh we just keep moving forward oh, that's awesome well we can't thank you enough for your time uh we really appreciate it and we'll have to catch up when you get back from florida and and you know, we really didn't even talk too much about your your, your playing career. You yeah, know, Stanley that's Cup, and your Stanley <laughs> Cup, and all that stuff. But we're, we're, okay. it's time for Next you to time. time for you to hit the links. And yeah, let's uh, let's do this again for sure. We really appreciate it. Sportfamily.org. Good stuff. Awesome, Ray. Well, it does, doesn't uh, happen all the time where you get to you know chat, sit down and chat with a Hall of Famer. So we appreciate you taking the time. Anytime, guys. Good luck. All right. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Ray. Thank you. All right, Mots, that was a uh, an unbelievable chat with Ray Bork. I really appreciate it. It was great catching up with him. I haven't seen him in a bit. We had a blast catching up with him. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. And, you know, what was really cool was, you know, hearing his path and his story as a young kid and his kind of growth as a player and then also kind of his view and his coaching his kids. You know, we coach our kids and, you know, the similarities and some of the ideas and his view of the game from where he is now. And we could have talked to him for days. You know, we all know his professional career, but uh, I, I did want to ask him a few more questions. But you know, we'd be here. Maybe we can do it on a golf course. You know. Yeah. No, he did say he'd come back on, uh, and we can we can get more into his his you know pro career and trade from Boston and into the you know winning the the, the cup with Colorado. But mm-hmm. again, here on the Ring Shrinks, we 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 do like to j- talk about the journey and the path to the pros, and you know what he did and what how he had such a successful career in the NHL. So I think it was an, you know, an excellent interview. And I really don't think, um, you know, people know much about that. You know what I mean? Anybody can kind of turn on the TV and, and watch, uh, you know, highlight clips of Ray Bork's career, you know? Yeah. And talking about playing other sports, loving baseball, you know, you know, stuff like that was great to hear from a hall of famer and an idol of mine. You know, I have posters of, of him up on my wall and really tried to emulate his game by watching him. And it was really cool uh, to become, friendly with them later on too so yeah it's great awesome. interview i, I, I know dave's i know dave still has the uh the army poster with uh, with him in the secretary of defense the secretary of defense. Well, the secretary Bork, 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 uh, sweatshirt right here actually for the yeah he for the still has here. that on his he I still has the, that on in his wall i love the swagger mott's asked him about preparation from the accuracy contest and his answer is why can't everybody hit the target? You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. just, it's just, he's great. He's just top to bottom. I remember exactly where I was when he lost it, where I was, where he won it. Just, uh, just an absolute icon. I do have one thing I forgot to bring up, which is hilarious. I just thought of it. So my brother was at a Bruins game with, with, with Chris Bork, Ray's son, and they, uh, they were in the elevator coming down from like the ninth floor or whatever. And these guys come in, end of the bees game. They've been drinking drafties all day. And one guy like nudges his buddy and was like, so Keith's like, you know, probably a freshman in high school. And he's like, dude, that's him. That's him. And he's like, who? who? He's like, that's him. That's him. The trade. So Keith's just listening to it. And, and his buddy looks at him. He's like, who? He's like, that's Ray Buck. He goes, oh man. He goes, can you believe the size of his head? <laughs> And he's like, 
So Keith said he's like legitimately crying, laughing, right? Like dying. And and the other guy goes, I know. He goes, he goes, what size helmet do you think he wore? And his other buddy looks at him. He goes, dude, he didn't wear a helmet. He wore a laundry basket. <laughs> Dude, I was howling when I first awesome. first heard that story. It was unbelievable. But uh, normally, guys, we would we would we would wrap this and go to our mailbag. But you know, like I said, it's a you know a bit of a a, a new regime here, and uh, we're on to bigger and better better things. And we are are we're going to be airing a weekly episode uh, every other week. We're going to have a you know a guest on a guy like Ray Bork. Not not everybody's going to be a Hall of Famer, but then uh, our our you know our Bi-weekly episode will be that um, mailbag. So we're going to really dip into that mailbag. We really want you guys to fill up that voicemail uh, to feed our Instagram, to feed our Twitter and and pepper us with those questions, because that's what you know, that's kind of how we got started here with the rank shrinks. And we really want to hammer that out. Uh, it's probably not going to be, you know, that long. It's probably going to be more on the 45 minutes to an hour side where we're going to talk about some relevant hockey, hockey topics, but also uh, really dive into those questions that, you know, U.S. hockey players and parents um, have for us. So we're, we're super excited to be going to, uh, you know, every week having an, an episode dropping for you guys and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, the, the, the questions are piling up, so we're going to have to sort through some. But keep them coming. And uh, those voicemails, too, we want to hear from you. Leave a, a voicemail as well. And uh, three, four, seven, six, yeah, shrink. Don't be shy about it because if uh, if you are, we got Harry. Harry's waiting for his, his moment Hot. to shine. So we got <laughs> we got plenty to go through with Harry if we need him. All right, love it. Great episode. We'll, uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks, guys.